You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hey guys, John Randall here from Calvary Chapel in San Juan Capistrano, and I really was looking forward to being together this year at the East Coast Pastors Conference, but we're in the midst of a global pandemic, a nationwide crisis, but we know that God is still in control, and we understand that the church and the ministry, and especially Jesus, is essential. I pray that this message that was shared recently in our fellowship at an outdoor event would be an encouragement to you. I love you guys and looking forward to seeing you again soon. God bless you and Maranatha. We're beginning a brand new series of studies entitled Courage is Contagious. And the reason for this new series of messages is that there are many who are currently living in fear and need to be reminded that we are the people of faith. I read a recent study that was conducted by Chapman University concerning society's greatest fears. And the fears range from global warming, to pollution of drinking water, unaffordable medical bills, corrupt government officials, and the loss of loved ones. Another study showed that the top fear that rules them all, or what was referred to as a fundamental fear, was the fear of the unknown. Uncertainty is all around us, never more than today. The current COVID-19 pandemic has only heightened uncertainty over the economy, employment, finances, relationships, and of course, physical and even mental health. Yet as human beings, we crave security. We want to feel safe and have a sense of control over our lives and well-being. Fear and uncertainty can leave you feeling stressed, anxious, and powerless over the direction of your life. It can drain you emotionally, trap you in a downward spiral of endless what-ifs and worst-case scenarios about what tomorrow may bring. And if all that you have to go on is the narrative of the news, you could easily become paralyzed by your fears. But friends, there is another narrative available. It's a biblical narrative. And it clearly and truthfully states that although everything around us may be constantly changing, our God remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. And throughout the scriptures and church history, we can look back and we can observe countless watershed moments when God's people have been called upon to be courageous in the midst of crisis, to be brave in the face of opposition, to stand in boldness when others have bowed down 
in fear. And I believe that we have arrived at another breaking point in the history of the church. And this morning, I want to draw your attention to a story in Scripture about an ordinary yet amazing woman who faced insurmountable odds. She had to make a courageous decision that could have meant her own personal demise. Her entire life led up to one defining moment that would affect generations to come. Her name was Esther. The Babylonian Empire had been a world-dominating superpower for 70 years. Yet eventually, the Medo-Persian Empire conquered and replaced the Babylonians. And when the Persian Empire succeeded the Babylonians, the Jews, who had been in captivity in Babylon, were given the option to return to Jerusalem and rebuild their temple, or they could remain in Babylon under a completely new government. Many of the Jews chose to leave Babylon and return and rebuild their lives and their temple. But others decided to stay in the city of Shushan, the citadel. And for the most part, they had a very peaceful coexistence among the Persians. Many of them had established roots and grown comfortable within the land. When King Ahasuerus came to the throne, he took the kingdom of Persia to the pinnacle of its power. During his reign, he paraded his greatness before his subjects by holding a celebration that lasted for six months. His motivation was not only to demonstrate his greatness, but also to convince his leadership to join forces with him in order that they may conquer Greece. If they were successful, he would achieve world domination. But at the height of this drunken party, Ahasuerus ordered for his wife, Queen Vashti, to come and stand before this gathering of intoxicated men in order that they may behold her beauty. However, Queen Vashti refused to obey the king's command, which in turn, well, it crashed his party. The king's counselors, fearing that all women would end up following the example of this insubordinate queen, quickly convened to come up with a plan of punishment. The decision was made to remove and to replace Queen Vashti. The decree was drafted, and then Vashti was sent down the road. Eventually, the king became lonely and longed for another queen. His counselors, seeing his condition, suggested that he go throughout his entire kingdom and gather all of the most beautiful women and select from them another queen. The council pleased the king. And throughout the kingdom, women were taken forcefully from their families to become members of the king's harem. It was as if all of the women were herded together as contestants for the Miss Persia beauty pageant. During the selection process, a young woman named Hadassah 
was chosen. Hadassah was also known as Esther, and she was a Jew. Part of Esther's backstory was that her parents had died early on in her life, and her cousin Mordecai raised her as his own daughter. As Esther and the other women were taken to the palace, they entered in to a time of preparation before meeting with the king. The beauty preparations lasted a total of 12 months and gave new meaning to the words essential oils. For six months, the young women went through the oil and myrrh treatments, followed by an additional six months of perfume treatments before their interview with the king. You may think your wife takes a while to get ready, but imagine 12 months in preparation. And during the 12 months, the unseen yet sovereign hand of God was upon Esther's life, guiding her, protecting her, and granting her favor. Throughout the entire process, the servants of the king gave her preferential treatment. When the process was complete, the time came to pass for Esther to stand before the king. And lo and behold, she was selected above all the other women and became the next queen. Yet at that time, she did not reveal her Jewish ethnicity to the king. We don't know the reason for that, but apparently it never came up. But the story of Queen Esther's life didn't end like a Disney princess story with the words, and they lived happily ever after. For in the shadows, there was a very dark and dangerous plan of destruction that was about to be put into motion. There were forces at work that initially Esther knew nothing about, but she was about to be caught in the middle of it all. You know, I believe that today that there are forces at work at the present time that some are unaware of, that there is an agenda and there is a plan being put forward that will require the church of Jesus Christ to make bold decisions. In Esther's story, there was a man by the name of Haman. He was an Agagite by descent and a relative of the wicked Amalekite people who at one time were great enemies of Israel. And he had received a promotion in the kingdom of Persia. He was placed second in command only to the king. And all of the kingdom were required to bow reverently before him in recognition of his authority. One day, as Haman was making his way through the kingdom, exercising his authority, all people were bowing down before him. He came across Esther's cousin, Mordecai. And being a Benjamite, Mordecai refused to bow before Haman, for they only bowed before God. Disgusted by Mordecai's disrespect, Haman plotted his revenge. 
he drafted a decree to present to the king that would not only destroy Mordecai, but the entire Jewish race, which would have included Esther. Unaware of his queen's Jewish heritage, the king signed the document, making it official, a decree, a death warrant for the nation of Israel. And once that document had been signed, Haman then started his construction project of building a gallow to personally hang Mordecai on it. Now, when Mordecai heard about the decree, he tore his clothes as an outward sign of mourning, and he covered himself in sackcloth and ashes, and he sat down crying and wailing and weeping at the gate of the king. The rest of the Jewish population in Persia followed his example. They also were weeping and wailing over what appeared to be their imminent annihilation. Inside the palace, Queen Esther was informed of her cousin's concerns. She heard how he was weeping and wailing at the gate and wearing sackcloth and ashes. And in an attempt to remedy the situation, she sent fresh clothing to her cousin, which he refused to put on. This would have only provided a temporary solution to a greater problem, like placing a bandage on a gaping wound. I believe that the world is looking at the problem we are facing amidst a pandemic, and they are offering different solutions washing of the hands, wearing of the masks, creating distance, etc. A temporary solution at best. Esther sent a trusted servant to inquire as to the nature of Mordecai's decision. Why was he weeping? Why was he sitting there? What was he doing at the gate? Esther needed the facts. She needed the truth in order to make the right decision. And you know something today? We need the truth to know how to move forward. And every believer in Jesus Christ needs to be in their Bible, listening to the Word of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit for His direction in their lives and what He wants you to do, friend, personally. What has God called you to do? Mordecai revealed the reasons for his remorse. He told the servant of Haman's plan. And he also sent a copy of the decree that proved his claims were valid. Mordecai wanted Esther to see it for herself in order that she could go to the king and intercede on behalf of her people. Keep in mind, up to this point, Mordecai, again, had instructed Esther not to tell the king about her national heritage. In fact, on more than one occasion, the story in the book of Esther records he told her to keep it to herself. Again, we don't know why that he said that, perhaps for her protection. But now she was also in danger and something had to be done. Mordecai then made a request. In light of the frightful circumstances, he pleaded with Esther to go before the king on behalf of her people. Now you would think, no big deal, right? It's her husband. She's the queen. It seems easy enough. However, we see from Esther's response 
to her cousin's request that it wasn't as simple as sitting down to dinner and bringing up the discussion. Esther was actually reluctant to approach the king for several reasons. For one thing, the Persians had established, listen carefully, a law that no one could approach the king unannounced or uninvited. If you violated that law, you were in essence taking your life into your own hands. Breaking this law was punishable by death. And a second reason for her hesitation was that Esther informed Mordecai that it had been, are you ready for this? 30 days since she had seen the king. For a month, the queen had been quarantined. The queen had been unseen. But after Mordecai received Esther's response, the Bible records that he reminded her of some important details that she had overlooked. Maybe she had grown comfortable in her seclusion. Maybe the protocol of the palace had bred a little bit of indifference. Perhaps she hadn't been affected yet, so she was fine where she was at. She felt protected and secure in her isolation from others. Mordecai presented an alternative perspective that Esther needed to hear. And friends, there are times in life when we need a different perspective than our own. When we need a different perspective than the one that the world gives to us or the media gives to us or politicians give to us. A clearer perspective to formulate a proper biblical response. And this is what Mordecai said. Esther chapter 4 verses 13 and 14. Here's what it says, guys. And Mordecai told them to answer Esther. Do not think in your heart that you will escape the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. Verse 14, if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. You see, Esther found out that she was not immune to the hardship that would accompany this decree, this law. Esther's predecessor, Queen Vashti, was removed by decree, and the decree of Haman would also be carried out. Esther couldn't escape it. She didn't have some kind of immunity because of her position in the kingdom. Furthermore, Mordecai tells Esther that deliverance would come. He believed that deliverance would arrive, even if Esther refused to respond, God would remain faithful to defend and deliver his people. The Lord had made an everlasting covenant, a promise to his people, and he would not fail. He would come through. And you know something? The Lord is going to come through for us as well. He cannot fail. There is nothing impossible for the Lord. And then... Then Mordecai made a statement that has echoed through the ages, even to the present time, and he challenged Esther with these words. He said in Esther chapter 4, verse 14, Who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Esther's whole life 
had brought her to this one defining moment of courage and bravery, but it was up to her. What decision would she make? Granted, there were real concerns. There were genuine fears, but she had to make a decision. Can I say to you that oftentimes when we read this particular passage of Scripture, we forget the context in which it was spoken. This is one of those things that you'll see at conferences or t-shirts or such a time as this, for such a time as this, for such a time as this. And it's always said in a positive way, a positive light. But I want you to know something in the context in which Mordecai mentions these words to Esther. Did you know that this was a rebuke? This was a rebuke to the queen. This phrase actually refers to Esther being scolded by her cousin for her self-indulgent, self-preserving mindset. Mordecai was reminding her she couldn't hide. He reminded her that she had been chosen to set her own interests aside, to let go of her own ambition and face the enemy full on. She was to risk her life and her legacy with no guarantees of a positive outcome. That's the for such a time as this that's found here in the book of Esther. Mordecai challenged Esther to receive this reproof. And folks, maybe, just maybe for the first time in a long time in the history of the church, at least the church in America, that the Lord is saying to his people, what if, what if this is our time to stand up and be counted? What if this is our time to be bold in the face of opposition? What if this is our time to trust God in ways that we've never trusted God before? What if it's our time to have the world look on us and misunderstand? See, here's one of the problems I think that we face in the church in America. We are far too concerned with what the world thinks about us than what Jesus thinks about us. Too many pastors are rock stars. Listen, we don't need rock stars. We need servants willing to lay their lives on the line for the gospel. Jesus didn't put us here to be popular. That's not why we're here. He put us here to be salt and light like a city that's set upon a hill that cannot be hidden. And the Lord would say to us, what if now for such a time as this, we've been raised up? What Esther didn't know, that behind Haman's plan was an unseen satanic agenda. Satan was the one inciting Haman to destroy the nation of Israel. Listen, folks, if Haman had been successful, he could have potentially destroyed the line that led to Israel's Messiah, who would be the Savior. Obviously, Esther was unaware of that fact. But how many of God's servants in Scripture do we see being led and prepared for a specific moment, being unaware until they arrived at that moment, only to discover that this indeed was the will of God for their lives, 
Friend, God is always working behind the scenes in our lives. We don't know what God is preparing us for, but all things are working together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. He has been working in the midst of this national and global crisis, assembling an army of believers to emerge from quarantine, prepared to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But this is the question. When your number is called, will you step up? When your moment arrives, will you trust God? Will you trust God enough to be understood, misunderstood by the world? How about this? Will you trust God enough to be misunderstood by other Christians? What are you willing to do for the cause of Christ? Esther responded to Mordecai in verse 16, and this is what she said. She said, go, gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. Let me say, which is against the law. And if I perish, then I perish. Esther called for a fast. For three days, the people were collectively to entreat the assistance of God. Esther's courage became contagious. It inspired the nation to seek the Lord. It inspired her people to seek God. The decision had been made. And what was so awe-inspiring and powerful about this moment was that Esther made the decision to trust God regardless of whether or not the outcome was actually favorable to her. Sometimes we don't mind making the decision if we know what the outcome's gonna be. If it's favorable, I'm, I'm all in. But when there's sacrifice involved, we're more hesitant. She was doing the right thing, even though it might not end up the way she had hoped. As Christians, this is what so often it comes down to. Do I trust God? Will I take God at his word? Will I do what he's calling me to do? At this time, we cannot be controlled or programmed or manipulated by fear. We must walk in faith. Jesus exhorted us. He said, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Paul was also an example when he said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. It's a win-win for the believer in Jesus Christ. And for some reason, folks, the Lord saw fit for us to be here at this critical moment in history. What will we do? How will we respond? What will be said of us in times to come? Listen, God has given to each one of us here today a stewardship of a life that is to be lived. God has opened up opportunities for you and for me to leverage things for the kingdom of God. He didn't place us here so we could remain in lockdown. He placed us here wherever we are because we're in the midst of a battle and we're in the midst of a war and we're in the midst of a conflict involving Good versus evil. And it's easy to get caught up 
in our own agenda, in our own wellness, in our own kingdom, and miss an assignment. An entire nation was grateful for how Esther responded to Mordecai's rebuke. Their lives were spared. How many souls will be spared in this culture where we live today when we choose to step up in service, even when it involves sacrifice? Fear is contagious, but courage is also contagious. You say, well, Pastor John, how did the story end? Well, I'll tell you. After three days of fasting, Esther took her life-threatening step of faith. She went before the king, pleaded for the lives of her people. As Esther brought her petition and urgent request before the king, she did so with a humble spirit. She says, if it please the king, if I have found favor in the eyes of the king, if it seems right to the king, if I'm pleasing in his sight, Esther had the favor of the king. She was pleasing in his sight. Her request was granted by the king. The king welcomed her. He received her, defended, and delivered her. In one moment, everything changed. The tables were turned. And we see once again in Scripture that what the enemy had intended for evil, God used for good. Today, we need to come before our king. We have the favor of the Lord, the Bible says. We are pleasing in his sight. And we come before him and we plead for our families. We plead for our communities. We plead for our nation and for our world. We have a standing invitation from God. The scepter has been raised. The door has been opened to the king of heaven. And we can approach him and come before him. And he's willing to hear us. You can't wear out your welcome before the king. Because folks, listen, the Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ and she is loved by her king. I wonder if today that the church of Jesus Christ will step forward. Oh, it's going to take faith. It's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take worrying less about what the world thinks and more about what God thinks. We have an unprecedented opportunity to openly and unashamedly identify as God's people. And like Esther, we can be part of the rescue mission. I wonder who'll step forward. I wonder if we're here for such a time as this so that people could see that God is faithful. I want to conclude with this passage of Scripture that I find inspires great courage. It's found in the book of Romans, and here's what it says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor coronavirus, nor any other created thing 
shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Folks, listen, would to God that through him, we would do valiantly. This is our time. This is our moment. I pray that you'll be encouraged today and inspired to live boldly for Jesus. Prepare to be misunderstood. Prepare to be judged by those in the world and those outside of the world. But Jesus warned us that that would take place. And so we embrace it. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, we stand bold and courageous this time. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, how grateful I am today for my brothers, for my sisters here today, here in this parking lot and those watching online. Lord, I pray that, Lord, courage would be contagious for us. Lord, that we would choose to live without fear, that we would be clearly informed. Lord, that the narrative that shapes our mind would be a biblical one. Father, we do pray that this virus would pass from our country, from our world. But we do pray for those that are sick today that you would heal them and touch them. But we pray also, God, that truth would prevail and that the lies that are circulating would be overcome by the truth and the truth would set people free. And the most important truth of all is the truth of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor John Randall. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor John's teaching ministry by visiting a dailywalk.org.